0: Welcome, adventurers. Karia has made the last visit she will ever make to Esmeray's tower. Joel Regetti's Speaking Stone Studio presents Tales from the Dungeon uh, I don't normally do this, but for this one, I'm going to. The following episode contains strong horror themes, violence, and gore. Listener discretion is advised.
1: Fate draws near. Your destiny is utter.
0: She stood, as calmly as she could under the circumstances. It didn't seem as if you were home, Caria started. I was going to deliver your urn without disturbing you. The words sounded contrived, even to Caria. The disturbing image of Esmeray's withered head hanging from the floor above was made worse as she limited her response to a throaty cackle. The head withdrew. The stringy hair slithered back out of view. And after a breath's pause, Esmeray's muted voice fell back through the lit opening. Calm. The cold inside Caria pulsed no longer. It rejoiced. It sung some small part in the back of her mind, some part just beyond conscious thought, was screaming. Karia sheathed her dagger and shifted the urn on her back. Now that her eyes had adjusted, the light from the stairs above was not blinding. In fact, she wouldn't even refer to it as bright under normal circumstances. It had only seemed that way in contrast to the near-total darkness in which she had been swaddled. But a few moments before, the light had a reddish hue, the product of dull flame. But captured within was the unusual undertone of green as well. Caria had never seen such before. Foreboding as the trip above seemed, as much as she would have preferred to conduct the exchange here on this floor, there was only one way to end this contract— and that way, lie above. Her silent footsteps fell, moving her toward the stairs, and then up. Wood stairs had a tendency to squeak in her experience. She had avoided many stairs for that very reason during her time. These were perfectly silent. Something inside Karia wished they had squeaked, Dark study faded below as she ascended toward the red light. A bedroom, Karia found herself thinking. Please let it be, a bedroom. She had always assumed it was one. Let this one thing, this one part of this heinous job be as she had expected. Her head came above the floor, her eyes working to adjust further. As her head passed through the opening, she found herself overwhelmed, unsure what the scene before her could mean. Stepping cautiously, reluctantly, onto the floor above, everything within her went both alight in horror and cold as steel. Her years of danger sense were already looking for a way out. Any thought of a fortune had left her mind, Karia stood face to face with death. This floor was not a bedroom. But what was it? Not one step beyond the stairs had she gone. Her animal brain was demanding she run, that she bolt back down the stairs. But she was not an animal. Esmeray's withered form stared up at her from where she lay on the floor, her head and shoulders lifted aloft on stick-like arms. What the thief Coria saw in the gaze of that wasted remnant of a human that the animal within did not, was any unexpected move, meant death. The urn of Skellish Half-Handed had come home, Karya's life was now an afterthought. There were large open braziers near the wall, fires burning within. The source of the red light. Something pungent must have been thrown into those, some sort of sap or sage, but not quite. It was not a smell karya had ever smelled before. Against the chill beneath her skin, the fire's heat struck her, Beads of sweat forming on forehead and cheeks. The overwhelming smell permeated her lungs, made her feel short of breath. The floor was of dark wood, as every other floor below, save the first. On its rough surface, an immense and intricate pattern had been scraped into the floor with some dark paint. It reminded Karya of a mandala, but less symmetrical. It contained many other markings and shapes within. Some of the markings implied writing, but in no language Karya had ever seen before. Everything within the one large circle was connected in one way or another with lines. The paint was a rusted red, glistening in places in the firelight. Still wet. Three dark cylinders lay outside of the circle, one end on each, open and stained with the same substance used to create the pattern. A fourth of these containers was near Esmeray on the floor. Karia's eyes traveled from the container to the wizard's bony hands. She swallowed. Each of the hands were stained with the same substance. Yet more disturbing were the tips of Esmeray's fingers. Most of the nails had been torn off, and on two of the fingers exposed bone protruded past ravaged flesh. The scratching she had heard from below now scratched in her mind, a mind that collected all the evidence, presented an answer. A chill of fear surged above the chill of whatever it was that had taken home beneath her skin. The wizard had carved the pattern into the floor with her own fingers. Karya's hands curled unconsciously shut. Around the outside of the circle, between each of the large braziers, a candle sat upon the floor. They were dark and glassy smooth, but beneath the surface of each something moved. A green mist. Karia saw shapes there. Face. Eyes peering out. She looked away. The candles were lit. They flickered with green flame. The unexplained undertone she had seen. All of this was unsettling, but all of it, strange as it may be, was only made unspeakably threatening by the fact that within the circle, shackled to the floor, was a man. Manacles held in place with iron spikes. He had yellow-hued skin, worn dark clothes and dark hair. In his mouth a dirty gag had been tied. His thin eyes lulled open and then closed. They seemed unfocused. Unaware, Karia's eyes flicked from the body as they caught the motion of Esmeray dragging herself forward about a pace. It seemed the wizard's legs no longer functioned. One of the woman's dull eyes was now completely white with cataract, the other a milky jade color. Esmeray cocked her head, looking at her sideways with a less ruined eye. She lifted a mangled hand and pointed to the three chests at the edge of the room, seven paces away. Your reward is there. She
1: sounded as if death was near. Please, place the urn on the pedestal. Take your money, and
0: you may go. Karya hesitated. The pedestal stood at the very center of the circle, a simple stone structure, waist-high. Its only ornamentation was a single emerald set in each of its six faces. Large emeralds. They would probably fetch over two thousand gold apiece on the market. Each of these emeralds was directly in line with one of those dark candles. Caria's eyes went from the pedestal to the man on the floor to the chests against the wall, finally finding their way back to Esmeray's skeletal face. The wizard could sense her hesitation. Erectus' smile appeared as she (laughs) cackled.
1: The contract you have signed will not let you leave not before you have delivered the item
0: agreed upon karia swallowed a second time to move all of the gold within the chests would take some time she ran the contract over in her mind it said she was entitled to five hundred, fifty-two thousand, eight hundred and nine gold pieces, give or take a few. There was no specification that she had to take it all. The man on the floor squirmed. His eyes were wider open now, seemed more aware. Karya made her face stone. Whatever was happening here, it was no concern of hers. She had a job to do, and she would do it. Put the urn on the pedestal, take as much gold as would fit in the pack in which she had brought the urn, and leave. Leave and never set foot in this tower, in Ardisport, again. She finally found the strength and stepped forward. As soon as her foot fell within the circle, Esma breathed out a Yes! in anticipation, in ecstasy. The cold beneath her skin was no longer a temperature, but a sensation. It vibrated. Pins and needles. Put the urn down, get some gold, and go. Put the urn down, get some gold, and go. Caria walked, one measured step at a time, toward the center of the circle and the pedestal. She crushed the fear that threatened to take her. Even as she felt Esmeray's husk of a body brush against her leg, she didn't look down. Two steps. One. Out came the urn of Skellish half-handed, the metallic base scraped on the stone top of the pedestal. Karya's twisted reflection stared back at her from the object's grotesque surface. For a moment, it was as if she were two places at once. In the hot room, heavy-scented smoke filled her lungs, sweat now pouring down her face. Was she in the tower or in the urn peering out? She needed to step away. She needed to. Her life depended on it. Karya let go the urn with her right hand. Turning to look away was the hardest thing she had ever done. Like ripping stitches from a freshly sewn wound. Her first step away was stopped cold as she was jerked back by something by her own left hand. The wounded hand, it still held fast to the surface of the urn. Caria's eyes went wide. Why couldn't she? She pulled. It didn't budge. She grabbed at the wrist of the offending hand and pulled. Nothing. Letting go, she leaned away and pulled still, gently at first, and then full away from the pedestal with all of her weight. Her hand, the pedestal, the urn, may as well have been one. Karia could not break the hold. Panic. For all of her composure to this point, panic was beginning to win its way to the surface. She was jerking frantically, but froze as something cold was pressed into her free hand. Caria had been looking at the urn to see if any progress was being made, but now spun her head to see what it was that had found its way into her palm. Esmeray's bony hand had grabbed her wrist and pressed a gold piece into its grasp. The ruined wizard looked up at her. The urn has been delivered.
1: You have been paid. The contract has been met.
0: As the words finished, Esmeray dropped her wrist, and the gold piece fell to the ground, Coria wanting nothing to do with it. If the contract was completed, there was no reason for the chanting began. Weak at first. Esmeray dragged herself to the first of the braziers, and from a sack Caria had not seen, the wizard drew some bones, chanting over them a few beats before tossing them into the flames. Contrary to what should have happened, it was as if the wizard had tossed oil on the fire. The flames leapt high, taller than Caria, and the nearby stone wall caught fire. The chanting grew louder. Esmeray moved on. As the second fire gouted flames in response to the wizard's next offering, the corpse of three rats, and the wall caught, Esmeray's chanting became louder still. Louder than should have been possible from such a frail woman. The third fire was the same, and then the fourth. The room was filled with the roar of flame. Stone walls inexplicably... Burning, Caria's clothing was drenched in sweat, a flicker of one last good eye in the flame. There was an amusement in it. Even though Esmeray chanted on, her voice found its way into Caria's mind. So good of you to stay, my
1: dear. Zoram's soul would have been enough for my needs. But your unexpected attachment to Skellish's offering, <laughs> my new form, can only grow stronger from your most thoughtful second gift.
0: The fire was deafening. Karia's head was filled with the sound of arcane chanting; her lungs with smoke. The wizard's intrusion into her mind had broken the glamour, made her realize she had been watching, stupefied, unmoving. She redoubled her efforts, pulling, jerking. The fifth fire rose up, and then the sixth. Karia pulled so hard she felt her shoulders strain, and then, with a disconcerting pop, separate. She collapsed in agony arm still strung out behind her, wounded hand sealed to the god's forsaken urn. It would not let her go. It wanted her life. Karia forced herself to her knees. as Marie was crawling, chanting and crawling. The rag-covered wreck of a body swished and slithered much too quickly to the man bound to the floor, and then, atop him, the victim's eyes were now wide with fear, his body tense, heaving, most likely straining to scream against the dirty gag, not that Caria could separate any one noise from the nightmarish din. One of Esmeray's ravaged hands grabbed hold of the man's face, and with a careless motion, a dagger in the other lashed up, cutting both the gag and the skin beneath. At that moment, Karya could hear the scream. A scream she could never unhear. Straddling the body, Esmeray sat up, raised the dagger over her head, and plunged it into the man's chest over and over the flame of the six green candles surged and green mist issued from the poor man's mouth, split into six strands, each heading toward a candle. The strands flared and the man's form withered before Caria's tear-streaked eyes. Oh, inhale one moment. The man's form was not but skin stretched over bone within a few beats. The candles now each appeared as a brilliant ball of green light. Karia had lost track of conscious thought, the world just images feeding into her mind through unwilling eyes. Her death was close at hand. Esmeralda stood, somehow, and was pacing the outer edge of the circle. At each candle, her shadowed form knelt and picked up the flame in her hand. When she had collected all six, the wizard came to a spot directly across from where Caria was trapped and began feeding the candles one by one to the emeralds. The candles vanished and the gems flared to life. The room burned still as Marie looked into Caria's horror-stricken face. The wizard's hand disappeared behind the pedestal and into her tattered robes. When it returned, it held a small crystal vial. Absent of context, Caria would have called it a perfume bottle. But somewhere within her frozen mind, her rationale still lurked. That rationale knew the black liquid contained within was not perfume. Still chanting, Esmeray's face peeled into one last smile, unstoppered the bottle, and drank. But why had she? The chanting faltered as Esmeray took a weakened step back and then coughed. Blackish phlegm and blood spattered out, some hitting Coria in the face. She flinched. The chanting started again, but soon another blood-laden cough, and then another. Esmeray fell to her knees, trying her best to continue through spasms and gurgling mouthfuls of blood. Lips now moved silently as a stream of drool and bile spilled between blackened teeth. A ragged inhale, and then another, and then Esmeray slumped the floor, unbreathing, dead. The moment the body struck the wood, the braziers and the flame-covered walls went out. Karya's ears rang in the sudden silence. Something was wrong. This could not be the wizard's end goal. Karya's hand was still stuck fast. She saw it then. The green light from the emeralds in the pedestal crawling up toward the urn slowly. What happened when the light reached the urn? The animal inside her, the one she had quelled upon first entering the room, would be held down no longer. Karia had never seen it before, but had heard stories of unfortunate animals caught in traps, but not killed and what they did to escape. Her dagger was in her free hand. The green light crawled up further still. She made the first cut. The green light crawled. She was screaming in a frenzied rage, in indignant shame. She cut and she sawed. The last tendon was severed with a sickening snap as the green light reached the urn. Cardia fell back, fighting to maintain consciousness. The animal knew to pass out was to die. She began to crawl on her knees and her one remaining hand toward the stairs. In her peripheral vision, she saw the urn was glowing now, radiant, She was halfway to the stairs when the urn shot out a beam of light. A beam of light that struck Esmeray's expired form. The body was lifted from the ground like a rag doll, arms lulled to the side, head flopped back. She had to crawl faster. A disgusting smell began to fill the room. Smoke was issuing from the wizard's ruined eyes. They bubbled and then burst into emerald flame. The bones of the body were cracking and breaking. Esmeray had been tall in life, over 6 feet, but the green aura that surrounded her remains was remaking the bones, stretching them, enlarging them. Karia was but a pace from the open hatch when she heard it a sound that haunted her dreams for the rest of her days. Esmeralda's scream, a piercing screech that shifted into a laugh. The last thing Caria saw as she pushed herself through the hatch was the creature, the undead horror. It hovered about a pace above the ground, Having seen Esmeralda, she knew where it came from, but no other ever would. Withered flesh and torn robes hung from a skeletal form, a form that was now well over seven feet tall. Three emeralds were embedded in the deathly figure, one in the palm of each withered hand and one in its white skull, between and just above now empty eye sockets. Those sockets were the purest black, but for two points of brilliant green flame that burned within. Its head was turning her way as she tumbled from the room, down the stairs to the study below. She smashed her shin and tripped over several piles of books in her retreat. Fear won out against the pain. She plunged her stump into the fountain below, scooped bloody water from the fountain, drank some, poured the rest within, and then submerged her face, half-hoping she would die this time. What followed was delirium. She fled. Caria never set foot. An artist port again. What has transpired? Esmeray has finally used the knowledge granted to her in the Shadowfell. And though the name does not come for some time, we have witnessed the birth of the Emerald Scarab. Stay tuned next week as the ending of our journey unfolds.